If you ever find yourself on Scottish shores, chances are you will, at some point, venture out to see the vast moorlands we have to offer here. Rocks so vast in number they are almost impossible to count, besides which midges hover and families of deer stalk the shores. Perhaps you may even see a horse, tempting in its beauty, dripping water from its mane, inviting you to come nearer and daring you to saddle. Beware, not all our creatures were created equal nor pure. Perhaps most importantly, not all horses are horses at all. Find yourself upon its damp and main, and soon you may disappear beneath the crystal waters of our inland shores, never to be seen again. Welcome to the Salem's Lot Podcast. I am your host, Marcus, and today I am joined by my regular co-host, Claire. Hello guys. This episode is dedicated to Scottish mythologies some fantastical, some well-known, and many gruesome. The horse we speak of is, as you may have guessed, no normal horse at all. Find yourself in Falkirk, by the Forth and Clyde Canal, and stare in awe at the two 30-foot sculptures of these magnificent beasts, so ordinary at first glance, and yet inspired by anything but. The Kelpie, one of Scotland's most revered additions to his expansive mythology, has seen comparisons to Satan himself. Although to those fateful few who witness them in the flesh, they may seem like anything but. A glance at Herbert James Draper's 1913 painting of the same name will provide you with an alternative perception of the mythic creature. Beside a pool of water, adorned on a rock, a naked woman lies seductively, looking out beyond the canvas at something our eyes may never see. Light cream fabric is wrapped softly around her arms, and she is presented here as an inviting beauty, a seductive calm against the upset of the flowing current. Just above the water, her feet sit teasingly. In this anthropomorphization, the transformation is a complete one. In others, such as Robert Burns' 1786 poem, Address to the devil. The hybrid of human and horse leaves the former incarnation with distinctive hooves. In conjunction with religious literature, there have been allusions to the Kelpie as the physical representation of the devil itself, or one of its underlings. Beauty, both in human and horse form, are a constant in the portrayal of the, Cel the Celtic, Celtic Kelpie mythology. There appears at once an acknowledgement of the beauty of evil, or, conversely, the evil within the beauty we behold. Throughout the 18 and 1900s, there appeared to critic Nicola Brown an active shift away from traditional representations of the beast towards a more sexual portrayal. Dow and Draper were but two then-contemporary artists to explore the mythos in such fashion. Instead of being tempted to ride the horse, these interpretations instead proposed that men were lured with the promise of an advantageous carnal desire, with the same end result. The breadth of available Kelpie myths 
being so frequent that it could be argued that every major body of water within Scotland has its own local legend, means that the abilities and powers available to the Kelpie has fluctuated from tale to tale. Other than being the physical manifestation of sexual and physical prowess to be conquered, Kelpies have also been described as having magical powers over the water itself, able to dictate the flow and tide to drown those unfortunate passers-by. In Aberdeenshire, the Kelpie has a mane of serpents, while the Kelpie of the River Spey is said to be white and can sing. These variations aid the modern consensus against the Kelpie's existence, with children often, but not exclusively, being the focus of the spirit's wrath. In essence, a simple rebuttal of the Kelpie narrative would be that it was created to scare children from particularly perilous waters, and... Like many persistent narratives across cultures and history that endure the weathering of time, it has worked. Scaremongering becomes folk tales, becomes a legend, becomes mythology. Or does it? The connotations of the devil's involvement, for me at least, elevate the notion of the Kelpie towards a question of spiritual morality. What would you do? Attempt to tame the beauty of the wild horse? To take your own the naked pleasures of an idle mistress? What if the Kelpie existed as a test set by the devil? A crossroads whose decision measured the purity of your soul? Ignore the aggressions and desires of man and live a pure and Christian life. Stumble and you find yourself beneath the water to the fires of hell itself. Next up on the podcast we have two more stories. The first of which is the story of Strike Martin. Legend has it that on a farm in the north of Dundee, simply known as Pytemton, a farmer lost all nine of his beautiful daughters to a terrifying beast. One evening, after hours of farm work, the father sent his eldest daughter to fetch water from a well nearby. When she failed to return, the father sent his second eldest who also failed to return. This carried on until all of his daughters were gone and none of the nine had returned. When he went to investigate, he found the slain bodies of all nine of his daughters and curled around the nine was a large dragon. The farmer fled to call his neighbours, terrified for his own fate. The neighbours returned with weapons in their hands the dragon tried to flee, but not before a young man named Martin caught up with the ferocious beast and defeated it, using only a club. The rest of the mob yelled, Strike Martin, as the young man fought the beast. The place the dragon was defeated became known as Strike Martin, known in modern times as Strath Martin, which lives on in a local primary school. Martin also has a stone in a nearby village, and a statue of the dragon can be found in Dundee city centre. As well as this, we have the story from Glencoe. If you find yourself taking part in Scotland's West Highland Way next summer, beware of the route through Glencoe. Host of one of the bloodiest slaughters in Scotland's history on the night of the 13th of February 1692. On government's orders, a troop of soldiers descended upon members of Clan MacDonald. 
Whilst they slept, the soldiers brutally murdered 38 of the men, women and children. Other members fled but soon perished from exposure to the elements. To this day, passers-by have claimed to see spooky reenactments of the scene and some campers have even heard screams from the glen, particularly around the anniversary of the event. I quite enjoy um, doing these Scottish mythology podcasts. Yeah, me too. I think that it gives us an opportunity to delve into our own history mm-hmm. as a nation. And while a lot of it is mythology, um, and while a lot of it isn't strictly speaking history, I'm sure at some point we'll get to explore Scotland's history mm-hmm. in a bit more depth. Um, just finding out about the little folk tales and the mythologies that were probably used to scare kids <laughs> back in the day, and just the imagination. It's so good, and it's also... It makes you wonder where they came from, you know? Yeah. Nowadays, if you tell a kid a scary story or something, they have roots in these legends. But who came up with dragons and who came up with vampires, you know? What led these people to create such creatures? Yeah. I mean, I like the idea that there was once magic. And for some reason, we've lost that. Mm-hmm. on the planet maybe we killed it as humans in the way that we advanced forward as a like we just steamrolled through and we killed all of these beings you know like the martin in that story you know he killed the dragon and um, maybe it's like that i particularly enjoyed the kelpie story mm-hmm. um i so the way it worked out was um claire <laughs> read the ones that she did um that she researched and she created her script for and i researched and did the kelpie one um i just there are certain stories in Scottish mythology that just grip you, mm-hmm. you know? I think that probably the saddest thing I've found when researching things is the lack of... I don't know, there's not there's not much there, you know? It's very bare bones. It's facts about the mythology yeah. and the very scant story. It doesn't really go into too much depth. I feel like a lot of um, stories no longer get passed down through generations, you know? And you're left with the bare bones of it from hearsay and you're not left with oh your great 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 grandpa met one yeah you know the closest i I got was my granda who was from ireland would tell me stories about fairies and stuff like that and leprechauns and things and you know fairies that bought me a garden and stuff like that um so there is some but i feel like we're losing that tradition and passing down of real stories quote-unquote real stories um and so you're losing the the fantasy around it. Which is strange because, you know, um, on one hand you could be saying, well, we just, you know, the imagination's gone or maybe the spirits don't exist anymore. But then on the other hand, I know that there have been ghost experiences on your side of the family. There yeah. have been ghost experiences in my family. Um, not I've not experienced any personally, but it's not like people haven't experienced ghosts. Mm-hmm. So it's strange to me that all these other mythologies and all these other ideas or mythical slash magic creatures have kind of disappeared but ghosts have endured and maybe ghosts now might be the amalgamation of all some different mythological creatures that all kind of like exist yeah but we just call them ghosts because it's easier to call us that i definitely believe more in the sort of um different frequencies and dimension idea so the ghost experiences i've had Maybe one of them has been 
linked to a sort of uh, sleep paralysis feeling. But I've also had sleep paralysis enough times to know that this time wasn't that. Mm-hmm. Even though I had similar symptoms, it just felt completely different. Um, and a lot of people say in sleep paralysis, you know, there's a sort of hover between dimensions and stuff and you're seeing things from other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why a lot of people try and lucid dream and, um, you know, the... Oh, what movie was Insidious. it? Insidious. Insidious. You know, things like I that. I really enjoyed Astral that movie. Project. The 12-year-old in me is obsessed with that film. Yeah, and I feel like when you say we've lost magic, I feel like we've lost our ability to sort of hone into nature and the universe. Yeah. And that in itself is quote-unquote magic. But that goes back to what we talked about, about how we used to worship to the stars and now we worship to something we can't see. We used to work, no, sorry, we used to worship to the earth. Yeah. We used to appreciate the earth. Like Princess Mononoke is like a great film for visualizing like <coughs> tree forest spirits. Like this yeah. idea that the earth is very I much alive, that. you know? Um, I think that that movie more than probably any other that I can think of right now is like the perfect encapsulation of what once upon a time we used to worship the earth for. Mm-hmm. And no wonder, you know, whether you believe in forest spirits and things like that, I honestly believe that stuff like that and dragons could have been about, but humans have lost their connection to nature, have lost their ability to sense changes. Um, you know, I read a book um, when God was a rabbit and she was talking about how she would, go in and she would go into the forest and she'd sit in an armchair that her dad had made, made, uh, made her and she was like, everything was alive. That you could see that see the leaves fluttering slightly, and all these little details that we just don't pick up on because we're so busy. Mm. So no wonder, like back in the day, people had tree spirits and things because they would be able to pick up on really little movements and different changes to the earth. That they would say, "Oh, it's alive! It's a spirit." I mean, we all know plants are alive. Obviously, they're living. Yeah, things. but you never really consciously acknowledge it. You just let the grass grows until it's of a too annoying length, and then you cut it. Yeah. You know, um, and you think nothing of it. What I really like about the Kelpie story is what I was getting onto at the end of my script there about um, this idea. It's not just like this mythical horse. Mm-hmm. It's this idea of um, good and evil coming back to the Sonny Bean story from the first time that we've done the mythology. Yeah. Um, where that story was very much about um, true born evil. This idea of like a lineage of pure evil that mm-hmm. existed. Um and fed upon itself pure evil. This story was very much, for me, I didn't take that interpretation of it being a test. That was just me brainstorming and just thinking about it. Like, why would these interpretations with the devil come into it? What is it to do with this horse slash human transformation? It is very interesting questions, this idea of temptation and fate and purity. Um, I think that's why I really enjoyed researching that story that so much. And if you are interested in any of these mythologies, by the way, before in case we forget later on, um, what is it? These I think I've got I've Scottish got the link history, here. Scotland's people. Um, uh, it's history Scotland. History Scotland's where I got mine anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I got probably I started on the Sony Bean one. There was actually like the old magazine for that one that I went and read. Was that say the one that was really nicely laid out and you could scroll through? Yeah. Yeah. That site is great if you're looking for what, really History short Scotland? bursts. Yeah. yeah, History Scotland's great. It's a great bite-sized introduction to Scottish mythology. Very and pretty. it has Yeah, and it has a bit of everything on it mm-hmm. that you're interested in. Um, when it comes to depth, I would recommend maybe trying a few different sources. Um, 
But then at the end of the day, like when it comes to mythologies, you're not really dealing in 100% true accounts. Yeah. And also there aren't that many written accounts left. So you are going off like, for example, Robert Burns' poem Mm -hmm. or um, paintings that are as a result of oral stories that have been Mm -hmm. passed down, as you were saying. But yeah, I was just interested with the thematic connotations of the Kelpie story. Yeah, people were so imaginative back then, you know, if you don't believe that Kelpies were real and stuff, but they came up with such a story to to warn people against good and evil. And, you know, whether you're religious or not, a lot of the things in the Bible are supposed to be taken as metaphors. And, you know, I think because we're in this century and everything, we think we're so clever. But then back then, they had their own form of intelligence and it's so creative to think, you know, they came up with Kelpies and stuff, or were they real? You know, I just, I think it fascinates me because, uh, I don't know, it's just so nice to know how they lived back then. I mean, storytellers back in the day didn't necessarily use pen and paper, did they? They were called orators, and mm-hmm. they were, like, even back to Roman times, people were, like, their intelligence was based on how much they could remember, you know, they could remember whole passages mm-hmm. of things and they would recite them and that would have to be to entertain people because there wasn't just, you know, I couldn't just pick up a copy of a book. Yeah. You had to, if you wanted to use that thing to earn money, if you wanted to be like a performer, you needed to know that stuff. Yeah. And a lot of people couldn't read or write as yeah. well back then. So you'd be impressive. So, but also that meant the way that you performed it was probably the only way that they could experience yeah. that text. So, um, yeah, I think something's definitely been lost. Remember I was going through I was going through this red box that was sitting at the back of the cupboard. Um covered in mold the back of the cupboard now. We're, we're definitely trying to get damp traps and Claire's buying these air purifying plants and things. We're doing everything we can. Yeah. Um I mean I say it's for the You become a plant mother very I have. much. I'm getting connected back to nature. Um I've got three currently. But I found this this piece of paper and it was about this idea for a podcast that I was going to do years ago about just coming up with like with stories on the spot, being like a an oratory podcast uh, in fiction where I just kind of run with a story and see where it takes me while I'm talking about it. And I think in a kind of way, that's a skill that people used to have back in the day yeah. to entertain people through words. And now, you know, um, I'm I work in education, so you can see the decline mm-hmm. over the generations. Um, it's just something that. I think about it. Yeah, no, I definitely do because I feel like um, like a lot of parents don't tell stories to their kids anymore. You know, I remember walking along bike tracks and my dad, there'd be like a ramshackled burnt house and he would come up with a story. Yeah. And tell oh, something about the devil and like he would just come up with a story on the spot or maybe it was a story his dad had told him. Um, and I remember when I was younger with my younger siblings and my younger cousins... I would just like be up in the room and make stories up for them on the spot. And it's something that you just stop doing at some point. It's sad. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, the sad thing about that is if the story really endures, for example, with that story about, you know, your father in the burnt house, you remember it to this mm-hmm. day. You may not remember the intricacies of the plot, but you remember it being a good story. You remember yeah. having an impression on you. I remember the whole plot. I mean, if I ever have kids and we take them a walk there, I'll remember it, you know? Mm-hmm. It's at school. And then it links back to this Kelpie thing. This story endured so much. It was short, simple, easy to remember, and had the connotations of, well, you know, what we were talking about, um, good and evil, that 
it could be passed down for generations when there was no other way other than to mm-hmm. just tell these stories. And now in the year 2020, we're sitting down and we're making a brief podcast about it. And I think yeah. that's fascinating. Yeah, like all of these years ago, they had no idea that it would be, you know, on a podcast. What was that? But I really like the idea of us doing these podcasts and having all this information and remembering it so we can pass it on, not just on a pack podcast. But I want... I think the next generation need to be more interested in their culture. Everybody's too busy going everywhere else. And it's like, stop for a minute and appreciate where you come from too. Mm. Don't just look for the next big thing. I think it would be interesting in the future. I mean, we talk about kids, you know. Um, But imagine, right, we have kids in the future. And... We tell them that we had a podcast, so we still have that this podcast to that time, mm-hmm. and they can go back to the very first podcasts, and this is this will be episode nine. Yeah, and they can hear us talking about the prospect of their existence. I find that fascinating. Decades in the future, and like those stories that are passed then from hundreds of years ago to now, this will be held in the stasis, the the beautiful, confusing stasis that is the digital world. Yeah, that one day that they will be able to. Decades from now. Yeah. I come back to this exact moment in time. I mean, it's good that we're talking about potentially having them then if we do have them and it's not us sat here like, nah, we you don't want You were a complete accident, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how a, a rainy Wednesday afternoon in the west of Scotland in the two, year 2020 can project itself. Yeah. All the way through time. And with that, it's been a pleasure having you it on the podcast, been. Claire. Um, I'm I'm happily surprised that we managed to get two podcasts in after I our know. struggle to keep this going. And we will be back again on Saturday yep. with another podcast, <laughs> as yet unconfirmed the topic. But um, we'll blow your socks off with it, and you know we will. Um, with love, Marcus and Claire. And we'll see you on Saturday. <laughs>